But today we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. How to live a Christian life in your community as we look at sanctification. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to hear from you all that your spirit is saying to the church today. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Well, Paul has changed the gear in his letter and began to talk about the practical Christian living. And he, last time we looked at sanctification, um, first of all in persecution, and then looking at sanctification morally, sexually, and how to live a sexually pure life in the midst of a very pagan culture they were in, in Rome, and I think equally so today. But he's going on now, how do you live this continual Christian life? You got to realize that when Paul came into towns, he sort of turned them upside down. (laughs) There was a lot of commotion. It's interesting, we're going to see that Paul says in almost all the letters, live a quiet, peaceful life. But he didn't experience one himself. Um, Because when he came into town, there was a commotion typically uh, people received the Lord and were shouting and praising God and miracles were happening and, and or people were very angry uh, about the gospel because it was taking them away from their pagan religions and, and messing up their eco- economics and the statues they built and, and, uh, and their system with prostitution typically in the temples. And, and so... Uh, Paul typically didn't stay a long time in one place. so It was pretty much a, a, a very upended thing, and then he left town. That definitely would happen in Thessalonica. They were there three weeks, teaching night and day. It's amazing. As you read First and Second Thessalonians, Paul said, oh, we covered that. We covered that. You guys know perfectly well about that and about that. We're like, man, I think it took me 10 years as a Christian to learn all that, and they learned it in three weeks. So it was a, a lot going on. But how do you now that things have calmed down, the dust has settled, you have a Christian community, and the world's observing this Christian community, how is it to look? And this is what Paul's going to cover. First of all, he's already been saying in chapter 3 that they need to keep abounding in love more and more. The church is known throughout the world for being a loving church, the Thessalonica church. But he said, not enough. You need to now be known throughout the universe, I guess, uh, of being a loving church. Once you're in that place of love, you don't want to lose it, right? If, if you have lost your love for Christ or you've lost a loving relationship with Christ or lost a love for the church or a love for fellowship or a love for the Bible or a love to pray, Boy, get it back and get it back quickly because we don't want to lose the love. That's the whole point of it all. And of course, each time he talks about this, as he did last week in verse 13, he said, yeah, because the coming of the Lord with all his saints. He keeps saying, this is the mentality as we are looking for the return of Christ. Do do we understand that? That, that is the, Jesus left with that anticipation to the apostles. Because any moment, any day, the Lord could come back. And that tension for each generation 
is very, very important. We, we don't know if we're going to die tomorrow. Our brother Larry King is, as you know, a young man here. And he found out a month and a half ago, all of a sudden he has leukemia and he died less than a month later. We, we, we don't know. I mean, so, well, the, they've been saying the rapture's coming back for 2,000 years. Yes, and another 2,000 years if necessary. But the, the point is, is that you, you're going to be raptured out of here <laughs> by a Mack truck or <laughs> by a disease or a number of other ways that, that our life is, we're very frail, aren't we? Our life is very frail. In some ways, we feel tough and strong, but in reality. So we want to always live with that going, this may be my last day. This may be my last year. This, this is, I need to be living a life ready to meet the Lord at any second. As Peter said, so we have an abundant entry into the kingdom. Not like John said, we shrink away in shame at his appearing. Two different pictures, the ticker tape parade or the one that Jude says that as you're being caught up to be with the Lord, or as you're leaving this body to be with the Lord, your very garments smell of the sin that you're participating in, in the midst of being taken to be with the Lord. So we learned last week in those first three verses of chapter four, um, I guess it says, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Just you receive from us how you ought must walk and please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That we would see ourselves setting ourselves apart as a holy instrument to the Lord. This word originally was in the Old Testament when they had the priest garments and the shovels and the various instruments they used and in the, the Jewish worship, in the tabernacle, and then in the temple, they were only set apart to be used in the temple by the priest. And God is now saying, you are that. Our hands, our brain, our feet, our bodies are the holy instruments of God. See yourself as that way. And now today, in living a sanctified life, listen to this in verse 9 through 12. This is what we're covering in these Four verses today. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. And we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we've commanded you, that you may. Walk properly towards those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. So first of all, he says, hey, you guys need to keep growing. And he keeps saying this in the letter. Um, in particular, brotherly love. Now, as we look here in this verse, there's actually two verses. One, love, agape love, which we believe is the love that God gives us when his Holy Spirit comes into our life. And it's not a feeling, it's, it's an action. And God loved us that way. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That sacrificial gift 
to us, his only begotten son, to be our substitute, to die on the cross for our sins and raise again, that we could have forgiveness of sins, his Holy Spirit come into us, he could write our name in the book of life, and we could be forever in eternity right with God. God loved us that he gave his only begotten son. So we know about the love. And then he says that that's the brotherly love you have towards one another. And nobody needs to teach you about agape love because you've experienced it. I love First John, it says, in this is love, not that we love God, but that we are saturated in knowing God's love for us. You see, if first you can freely receive, then you can freely give. When you've been pickled in God's love and favor and grace and blessings, you are the treasure. Jesus said that this is the way God looks at it. It's like a man who knows about a buried treasure in a field. He takes everything he has, sells it, and then he goes and he buys the field. Why does he buy the field? Because the field's great? No, because he knows there's a treasure. He said, that's you. God came, and if you would, he bought planet Earth back by giving his only begotten son. We're going to get the revelation, and that's what it says. That there's the, the title deed to earth, and nobody is worthy to open the scroll and, and to take possession of it. And then as they were weeping over this, they looked and they saw upon the throne the Lamb of God as though he were slain, also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He saw the Lion and he saw Jesus also as the Lamb that had been slain and he was worthy. You are that special treasure. God loves us at agape love. So you've been soaking in it, pickle in it, never quit pickling in it. And as you have been blessed with so much of God's love, his love for you, his favor for you, you are his special treasure. Do you understand that? But yet our wicked sinful bodies and Satan and the world keeps wanting to devalue us. You're so weak. You're such a sinner. You're such a failure. You should be holier. You should pray more. You should let, you know, this is religion. If we love God more, we'll talk to him more. If we understand his love for us, we'll come more boldly into that throne of grace and come to him more often. Grow more and more in pickling God's love for you. And then as that has happened, as God has forgiven you, now forgive. As God has been patient with you, now be patient with your fellow man. As God has been continuously kind to you, be kind to one another. So as you have been taught this agape love, give the least a brotherly love, a friendly love to one another. In Romans chapter five, I love this picture because he says, look, Romans, Think about it. Just let, let's, do, let's do an equation from lesser to greater and from greater to lesser. You Romans are Christians. But think about this. When Christ died for you, when God gave his only begotten son that he would come into this world and die for your sins, 
were what in what state was the human race? Were they already so lovely that, you know, it is not going to take much to make them holy? <laughs> no, he says in, in Romans 5, we were still without strength. Do you know what that means? We couldn't hate our sin. I, I, I remember in, in high school, and it would be on a Monday morning, and the other football players would be boasting about, you know, these senior football players would be boasting about how they compromised these freshman girls and had sex with them. And, and you know, they were half passed out and got them drunk. And, you know, they were screaming, no, no, no. And, they, you know, and I just remember being a relatively new Christian, a growing Christian, just repulsed by that. And I, I remember saying, you're, you're, you're proud that you, got, you had sex with three different freshmen girls this weekend? Oh, yeah. They, they were without strength. They had no ability to feel the guilt and shame they should have felt over what they did. That was us. I remember as a, a junior hire, my brother's friend came in and he had spent the night because him and his brother, my brother both had passed out drunk. <laughs> they were only a few years older, but he goes, look at this. And he was so proud. He showed me a garbage can where he had thrown up alcohol. <laughs> and it was a trophy. He was so proud of that. He didn't want to dump it out because he wanted to. He got drunk and threw up. It was sort of a, a rite of passage to a new level of maturity. So understand, when Christ died for us, when God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, we were without strength. We had no ability to truly hate sin the way God hates sin, the way we should, made in his image, hate sin. Then he goes on to say in, in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his own love towards us while we were still sinners. Isn't it amazing? You have that picture of that multitude of people where Pilate's saying, should I release Jesus or this Barabbas? And, and they're all saying, release Barabbas and what should I do with Jesus? The multitude that had heard Jesus teach probably saw miracles, maybe even healed one of their relatives or healed them. They were in their wicked hearts just saying, crucify him, crucify him. Isn't, isn't that amazing that even today, that man, you know, looks at church and it's like, oh, church is a, full of a bunch of hypocrites. Church is full of a bunch of weak-minded old ladies. Once you grow up and get past eight years old, you should never go to church again. It's for little kids. But yet, you know, the Bible never says that God died for a human being, even though it's true he did. It says in Ephesians 5 that God loves the church and died for the church. We are the bride. We are <laughs> engaged to Christ. So would you imagine some guy going, yeah, I'm getting married. Let me introduce you to my fiance. Well, she's ugly. She's fat. She's stupid. <laughs> Hope you guys have a nice wedding. Would anybody in their right mind do that? But yet that's the beautiful bride of Christ, when we were without strength, when we were still sinners. And then he gives one more in Romans 5.10. He said, when we were enemies, 
We were reconciled to God through his death. Without strength, sinners, enemies. We were anything but lovely, anything but pure, anything but a great catch, if you would. But yet he saw us as the treasure in the field. And then he says in Romans 5, so how much more now? After you become born again, we have a little bit of strength. We're, we're struggling not to be a sinner. <laughs> we're definitely not enemies of God anymore. How much more now will you be saved for the life to come? We're in no state as bad as we were, even though the sinful body feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? But we have been taught by God about love. Remember Romans 13, or excuse me, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says a new commandment or a renewed commandment. Remember, he said, what, how do I keep the, the law in the Pharisee? And Jesus said, just love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. All the law hinges on that one. And he now says, hey, so if there is going to be a commandment, here it is. One, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Listen to verse 35 now of John 13. By this all will know, the whole world will know that you are my disciples if you what? Have love for one another. In 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is light. God is purity. God is God. <laughs> He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning. He's a lot of things. But above all his characteristics, everything is soaked in love. Every thought he thinks, every action he takes is out of love. And so how could somebody who's been born again not beginning to exude that love that God has if the Holy Spirit's living in you? He goes on in 1 John 4, verse 10 through 13, saying this, And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's it. God is love. What's that mean? He willingly gave his only begotten son to die on the cross, being sinless himself, paying for our sins. In verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us, we must try to love in the same way he's loved us. In this sacrificial way, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. His love has been perfected in us. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Holy Spirit. Do we get that? Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Galatians says when you're born again and God's spirit comes into you, the fruit of the spirit is what? 
Love, singular, one fruit, love. And then the characteristics of that love is joy and peace and patience and, and so forth. So indeed, now you need to be so towards one another as you already doing throughout all of Macedonia. Isn't it easier to love people who live a long ways away? <laughs> I always want to go to the church I don't go to because everybody's so wonderful there. That's just our human nature. It's harder to love the people we are familiar with and get to know better. What's that? Familiarity breeds contempt. So he says, you already have a love throughout the Macedonia area. Now you need to love everybody there in home in Thessalonica. In, in chapter one, remember, he says, I, everybody knows about your labor of love for one another. Romans 12.10 says, Paul says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. You understand the agape love is doing. It didn't say God so loved the world. He had this ooey gooey romantic feeling and he heard the stringed instruments and, and uh, there was this beautiful breeze as he looked out over the ocean and he had this amazing you know, Hollywood moment, and he gave his only begotten son. Feelings come and go, okay? Some people have a lot of feelings. Some people have almost no feelings. It's sort of weird how people are made from birth, but also how people, through environment, if they've had a harsh life, they, they just have sort of been wrecked in the emotional area, so injured in the emotional area, it's hard to to open themselves up to have good emotions again. They just sort of keep them locked away. But it's okay. Because for sure, agape love has to go beyond feelings. It is a sacrificial, giving love. Especially when you don't feel like it. Well, Jesus felt like it. Ah, Garden of Gethsemane, remember? Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass for me, <laughs> let it happen. Is there any other way that men can have their sins forgiven? Is there any other way people can have their name written in the book of life? Is there any way that men can, can be made perfect and go to heaven for eternity? Let me ask again. There is no other way under heaven in which men can be saved. But what did Jesus do? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He still gave sacrificially, even though that's the last thing he wanted to do. In Hebrews 13, 1, it just says, let brotherly love continue. One of the shortest verses in the Bible. Hebrews 13, 1. Let brotherly love continue. Don't stop it. Well, I tried to serve and I got people treat me like a servant. I go down there early and now they expect me to go every week down there early. I'm the, you know, always serving, serving. People treat me like a janitor. They don't know how important I am. Just let it flow. Don't, don't stop it. Indeed, as you do. He's saying you guys have done it. Keep 
doing it. I guess just practically, when I just look through the Bible and just say, how many different ways did God serve us? How many different ways does the Bible say we should serve one another? Well, one, it just says serve, right? Jesus said, nobody wants to wash anybody's feet. And all of you guys ate the whole meal with unwashed feet. You wouldn't even wash your own feet. (laughs) But before we ate, I, I went around and washed all of your feet. And I say to you, Happy is the man who washes feet. And so blessed is you when you do this for one another. Through love. Paul says, brethren, we are called to liberty. We're not forgiven of our sins and our sins will be forgiven tomorrow. (laughs) My past sins, present sins, future sins are being forgiven. He said, God didn't give us this liberty to go out and be fleshly. He said in Galatians 5.13, the opposite. But God's giving you this joyful, light heart, this joyful liberty of knowing our sins are forgiven, our names written in the book of life, that, that we're going to heaven so we through love can serve one another. Well, life is hard. Who cares? We're going to heaven. <laughs> but you don't understand about my body. Well, you're going to get a new one. We're going to heaven. But my car... You're going to get a horse in heaven and fly it back to earth. Yeah, through love, knowing the liberty that's coming for us, let's love, serve one another. Secondly, forgive. It says in Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another as tenderheartedly in kindness as God through Christ has forgiven you. Did you know that God forgives our sins every day. He forgives us even if we sin 70 times seven. Yes, I did. So forgive one another in the same way. Don't lie. Colossians, it says, don't lie to one another since we've put off the old man and its deeds. Showing hospitality. It says in 1 Peter 4, 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. (laughs) Be hospitable without grumbling. We need to help carry the burdens as people that are struggling, especially with sin. In 1 Peter 4, 8, it says, Above all things, having fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. In Galatians 6, 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the commandment of Christ. And not to judge one another. In Romans 14, 13, it says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block of cause to fall in our brother's way. Let's not judge one another. Condemn one another in that sense. Pray for one another. Oh boy, we know that, don't, don't we? Pray for one another with prayer and supplication for all the saints. And James, it says, pray for one another that they might be healed. For the fervent, for the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man, what? Effective, fervent, avails much. We can strengthen each other. In Hebrews 3.13, says, Exhort one another daily, why it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Strengthen the hands which hang down, the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. And then he says, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. 
We are not to stop in these endeavors. Interesting, Peter gets this. You know, last week we were said, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he spends the next seven verses talking about living a sexually holy, pure life. And 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, Peter says that, for this reason, giving all diligence to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, to what? Brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, to what? Love. But interesting, it starts with virtue, and then he ends in verse 8 of 2 Peter 1. If these things are yours and you abound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells him at the beginning of chapter 4, live a virtuous, holy, sexual life, not like the Gentiles who don't know God. And now he tells us to love one another. But yet, if we start with virtue and go to knowledge and self-control and perseverance, it will bring us to brotherly kindness and eventually to agape love. So how does, how does it look for us to live day by day by day as a Christian in our community? Look at verse 11. That you also aspire, the old King James says, study <laughs> to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you. To study or aspire or literally to be ambitious to live a quiet life. To live literally in silence without saying anything. When I hear that today, I think the opposite is don't be a Karen. <laughs> it's amazing how people today in our culture want to be loud and want to be noticed and they will, you know, break out and dance in the middle of the road while somebody videotapes them. <laughs> they don't care how it gets in your way. It's an interesting thing, but yet we need to be quiet. The Bible says live a, a quiet life with a quiet heart. Why? The obvious reason is so we can hear God. You see... Elijah was a man that was big and loud and the whole nation noticed him. He said, God, I'm the only prophet in all of Israel. And God said, uh, no, there's 7,000 prophets. It's just they're not like you <laughs> where everybody notices them. But what happened to Elijah he went out and confronted all the bell worshipers. Call fire out of heaven if you can. And, and so they tried. Of course, the miracle of that was that they couldn't. They were certain they could. What do we find in the book of Revelation? What's the one main way that Satan through the Antichrist deceives the whole world? Calling fire out of heaven. Satan can do it. It's definitely within his purview. But the miracle is God didn't let him do it that day. But then he calls fire to heaven, and then what does he say? Everybody kill the prophet. They killed all 400 of them. Didn't seem that God orchestrated that. And then he said, now go tell Jezebel and Ahab, 
and let them know that there is one God and, and the bell worship that they are instituting as king and queen is a false God. And, and when they hear about it, they didn't repent at all. They said, oh, you killed our prophet. We're going to come and get you. No repentance. And when that happened, it crushed Elijah. He thought this big event of calling fire to heaven and winning the argument and showing there's one God. And, and when they said no repentance, quite the opposite, we're doubling down on our pagan ways. He just went into the desert and collapsed. And God spoke to him and he goes, just want to die, please. If you love me at all, God, kill me, please, let me die. And God let him sleep, and he fed him, he let him sleep. And as soon as he got a little energy, he ran to the mountain where Moses stayed when he got the Ten Commandments. And he's up there in that cave, just, just out of his mind, just doesn't understand anything. It's just nothing's working. It's all falling apart. I'm the only prophet. God said, no, you're not. But then what happened? Listen. Outside the cave, there's this giant wind. Boulders are flying. Whoa! Look at the mighty, mighty power hand of God. No, God was not in that wind. Then there was an earthquake. And man, things shook like never before. Boulders again flying. And God wasn't in that earthquake. Then there was this powerful fire. Not just a regular fire, a supernatural fire. Burning, burning. Guess what, Elijah? God wasn't in that fire either. And he is scratching his head besides himself. He's back in this cave, seeing all these boisterous, loud, amazing things. And he senses a very tiny breeze, hardly noticeable. And he walks out to the mouth of the cave. And when that little breeze comes, he wraps himself in the garment, for God was in that still, small voice. God's nature is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. You see, that, that makes us think back. What was it like to be around Jesus? Remember when he got famous? They said, man, the whole city's waiting for you. Jesus, get back in town. You're so popular. Guys, we're not even going back into town. We're going to the next place. He, he wasn't into the big stuff. There was moments that were beyond his control that there was big stuff happening. But his nature was to be alone by himself in prayer quietly, which they often found him early in the morning doing that. He withdrew himself with his apostles to a quiet place in the mountains. Happened more than once. So what does it look like for a Christian? What if Jesus were living in your house and in your neighborhood and, and worked at the place that you did? It would be a place where the day in and day out power of the Christian character runs deep in your life, causing you to be at rest, causing you to not fret and worry, causing you to be a pillar in the community. 
Jesus said in all three Gospels, he who has an ear, what? Let him hear. And I would add to that, he who has a quiet and restful still heart will hear. In the book of Revelation, he says to all seven churches, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Are we hearing it in these last days? Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. In Isaiah 30, verse 15, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence or trust. In quietness and trust. That will be your strength. So first of all, he says to be ambitious to have that quiet heart. Secondly, he says, make it your ambition to mind your own business. Again, this is the Karens of the world that are saying, why are you parking here? You're not supposed to park there. And why, you know, it's like, hey, you know what? If it's really causing you to be steward, pray for them, but don't get in their face. This whole concept of mind your own business, it's a biblical concept. Don't be a troublemaker. Don't stir up the pot. Don't, but, but keep a low profile. Bruce in his commentary says, the busybody's compulsive itch is to straighten everybody else out. I, I'm sort of that way. I'm on the freeway and I'm watching some guy, you know, in the fire lane there or the emergency lane. And, and my thing is to want to just cut over in front of him saying, you can't, not going to pass me because nobody's supposed to be in this lane. Right? No, mind your own business. Here's this guy trying to cut in. Mind your own business. Here's this guy in the grocery store cutting in front of these people. Mind your own business. We are to not be fighting for the stupid earth stuff right now in this world. In Proverbs 20, verse 3, it is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool, every fool will keep on meddling. <laughs> it's an honor for a man to keep from strife. It's an honor for a man to have a quiet and restful spirit, but every fool, they can't keep their mouth shut. They can't keep themselves from being busybody. They keep on meddling. Evidently, this was an issue in Thessalonica, in this Roman culture, because in the next letter, 2 Thessalonians, he has a lot to say about it. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, this is the second letter, sometime later, Paul wrote, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through the Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Paul said those who are widows and are young need to get married and, and not to just be taken care of by the church because in 1 Timothy 5.13, he says, besides they, learn, they need to learn to, besides they learn to be idle wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things that ought not uh, to be said. 
Peter says to the Christians, if you suffer for being a Christian, that's an honorable thing. But if you suffer for being a thief or an evildoer or a busybody in other people's matters, that does not bring honor to God. Well, I got arrested, you know, for being a Christian. Uh, No, it wasn't. (laughs) It was because you did this or that. Remember there at the end of the Gospel of John in chapter 20, Peter's walking along with Jesus and Jesus is giving him instruction and he looks behind him and there's the Apostle John and and Peter says, well, what about this guy? (laughs) What does Jesus say to Peter? Mind your own business, you busybody. You do what I told you. You concentrate on what I'm saying to you. As for John, if he lives forever, what's that matter to you? And so the rumor went out that John was going to live forever. He ended up living to be very old, but didn't help things. However, in in clarification to this, I, I want to say this is not encouraging us to be hermits. This is not encouraging us to not talk to our neighbors or be involved in our community. Having a quiet and gentle spirit doesn't mean you isolate yourself from the world. No, we need to be in the world, just not of it. Then the next thing he says, be ambitious to be quiet, be ambitious not to be a busybody, and now to be ambitious working with your own hands. Paul told the church in Ephesians 4, 28, to not still anymore, I guess they were having a hard time with that, but rather labor working with their own hands, what is good, that then they could even have enough to give and help other people out. Culturally, in the Roman and the Greek culture, if you were doing physical labor, that was a dishonorable thing. That's for poor people and slaves. In the Greek and Roman culture, if you were doing work with your own hands, it it would be a very, they would have a hard time respecting you after that. Interesting contrast, the opposite is true in Christianity, isn't it? Our king of kings was a carpenter. (laughs) The apostles he chose We're all hardworking men, mostly fishermen. And Paul worked hard, not taking any money from the cities he was at as a tent maker. In Colossians 3, it says, Whatever we do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So as we labor in our job, understand That's not your full salary. That's your earthly salary. But for every moment you work with your own hands in an honorable way as unto the Lord, whatever your job is, you're going to have a reward in heaven as well. Isn't that pretty cool? You got a heavenly IRA, so to speak, or a 401k. Proverbs 18.9 says, He also that is slothful in his work is a brother to him, who is a great waster. Well, verse 12 now, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. To walk properly or honestly, to behave in a way that's of good form, to walk honorably. 
The NIV says, so that your daily life may be the res- uh, be respected by outsiders or those who are non-believers. Dave Guzik says this, people who are not yet Christians, those who are the outside, will see our example and be influenced to become followers of Jesus through our lifestyle. You see, it's important always to first be a witness before we go and start witnessing, right? Have you ever seen that? It's the laziest guy at work is witnessing to everybody. <laughs> or the guy who shows up late and leaves early and, and doesn't, is not a good worker. He's the on-fire Christian guy wearing the shirt and telling everybody to get born again. It, it's, it's vulgar, isn't it? But yet, the world, guys, is hurting. The Holy Spirit's in the world right now convicting your neighbors of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. They sense they're going to stand before God and they're not ready. They have a sense of the weight of their sin and they don't know how to get rid of it. And they're looking around. What's real? Buddhism real? Maybe the Muslims are right. Maybe I need to go to India and sit on a hill and shave my head. Maybe the Mormons, they came knocking at my door. Next time I'll talk to them. What's real? I'm hurting. Secondly, they're wanting to know the way. They're wanting to know the truth. What's your stick? (laughs) I remember working as a carpenter and and, uh, and my boss, who wasn't a Christian, would tell everybody when they worked with along with, oh yeah, that guy's a Christian now. He's, you know, watch your language and, and, and realize he's not gonna, you're not gonna get him to be lazy or still. Because a lot of them would, after, on, on Fridays, they would take every kind of nail and everything they could and fill up their bags because they had a side job on the weekend. But the guy I was working with who was a Christian, every Friday he would empty out every, I mean, he would sit there and tell every single nail Every single product was out. That's the way I learned, just to be honest. And, but I remember this one guy, after a few weeks on a job, we were at lunch. He goes, okay, okay, you're a Christian. I know you're dying to get me born again, so give me your shtick. And I said, you got it. I gave him my shtick. But again, this is what happens. Is it real? What is the way? What is the truth? And does it really work? You see, that's the key. I'm looking at you, and it's working for your marriage. I'm on my third marriage. (laughs) I thought I knew how to make the third one work after the first two, but I don't. I'm miserable. I go to the bar and spend most of my paycheck there trying to cope. I saw a thing the other day, and it said, to all you people that don't drink out there, look in the mirror. That's the best you're going to feel the rest of the day. Not me. I'm going to go get a, I'm going to go to the bar and get some alcohol. I'll feel great. But you guys who don't drink, you never get to feel good. Actually, I think it's the opposite. But that was their mentality. 
So does it really work as we live and grind out day after day, faithfully minding our business, being quiet, working with our own hands? One person said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. This is this case. You see, you can't, you can't see your neighbor walking out his front door and run out, hey, I got a new track for you. You can't go to your, your family Thanksgiving meal and say, hey, I got tracks for everybody. Hey, does everybody sit down? I'm going to teach you a Bible study. You can't go to work every day and, and put tracks under everybody's workplace, can you? You, you, you literally will be annoying if that's the way. But you want to share the Lord with them, don't you? More than ever. I want my neighbors to know the Lord. I want my family to know the Lord. I want everybody at work to know the Lord. But yet, the people you're around day by day, you can't go every day and share the Lord with them again and again. It just won't work. It'll be annoying. But yet, you've got to understand the power of a life as we walk as Jesus walked. It's getting to them. It's getting to them in a very deep way. The world doesn't need to hear you, but they do need to hear God, don't they? Don't underestimate the power of a life submitted to the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. In 1 Timothy, look at the transition that Paul telling young Timothy how to pastor a church. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Therefore I exert, first of all, supplication, prayer, and intercession, giving of thanks be made for who? All men. So start praying for our community and for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a what? Quiet and peaceful life and godliness and reverence. Your community is going to upset you unless you're a praying person. <laughs> and when the community is upsetting me and I'm a praying person, I can say, okay, I got my aggression out to God. God, this king, this president, this prime minister, this, those in authority. Ah! Okay, I poured my heart out to God. I poured my complaint out to God. Now I can lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. Why does God want us to do this? He says in verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. It's acceptable to God seeing this praying person living a quiet, godly, reverent life. And then in verse 4, what's the main reason? Why? Because God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So in those first four verses of 2 Timothy, he's saying the most amount of evangelism that's going to be done through our lives, in our community, in our world we work, is that steady, powerful life that's being led in quietness and peacefulness and godliness and in reverence, and that you may lack nothing. So Paul, and I'm not going to read it today, but in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we'll be looking at it almost the whole chapter there is talking about how they, many of them are living disorderly and they're not working and they're in financial need and how this is causing disruption uh, of the Christian in the community. So one commentator writes this, 
In anticipation of the Lord's return, believers are to live a peaceful lives free of conflict and hostility towards others, which is a witness in the transforming power of the gospel. The Apostle Paul exhorts us to excel more and more, especially in the area of brotherly love, and that we make sure that our efforts are not thrown off by becoming undisciplined or irresponsible. Another person puts it this way, not being a big shot, making an ambition to be quiet in your life, not to be a busybody, but mind your own business, and not to be a burden, working diligent, lacking nothing. Lord, we come before you today and we ask in Jesus' name that that which we know so well, (laughs) it's almost like saying water is wet. We as Christians know so well, but yet your words reminding us today there is a great power in being a witness. But we also want to Share the Lord. So please, Lord, we know you'll give us more opportunities as we're in the world, not of it, as we are in the world as a light and a salt to the world by our godly character day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, that people would have the question answered. What is the right way? How can I have life? Is it true? Does Christianity really have the answers? And that through our life's testimony, we can tell them, yes, it does. So search our hearts right now, Lord. See if there be anything in us, any busybodiness, any laziness, anything that's keeping us from being the light in this world that we should be. And cause us, Lord, to be those people for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and may the peace of God rule and reign in your hearts this week. God bless you. Bye-bye.